Hello and welcome to PawneeCast. I'm your host, Vicki Bilousova, and today we will be talking to Dr. Stacy Lampkin, a board-certified pediatric pharmacist, certified aromatherapist, and board-certified patient advocate who teaches people how to be better advocates for pediatric patients. So sit back, relax, unless you're driving, of course, in which case, you know, you kind of have to pay attention and enjoy. Stacy, Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for joining us on uh, PawneeCast. Thank you so much for having me. So uh, before we kind of dive into the main discussion, can you give our listeners a little bit of an introduction about yourself? Of course. So we'll start professionally since you already gave a great introduction of all my credentials. I am a pediatric pharmacist. I've been pro- practicing 10 years, actually over 10 years now. So it's odd to say that. Anyways, I've been doing ambulatory care in a pediatrician's office. More recently, I'm in a specialty office. And then I also work in academia. So I work at Juville and the School of Pharmacy and teach the pediatric content there. So that's kind of my pharmacy world. I I pretty much started out that way. I did my residency and then went straight into academia and pediatrics. And then personally, for people that like the personality types, I'm an ENTJ <laughs> or commander for the 16 personalities. I'm an Enneagram 8 for those who like that test. I don't know as much about that one, but I just know my number's 8. And then at home, I have two kids and a husband and two dogs, and we're getting a puppy in August. Exciting. <laughs> yeah. Very exciting. My son's getting a puppy in August. Oh, okay. That's right. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not as excited. It's exciting, but I'm not ready for and poop everywhere yeah. again. Hopefully it'll, you know, the other dog will teach the puppy how to how to stay chill. <laughs> Hopefully. And then I love ice cream. I always tell everybody that. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite <laughs> so, flavor of ice cream? Mint Oreo is my favorite, but that's not really a readily available flavor. Yeah. So I usually just have to settle for mint chocolate chip or mint tingling. Interesting. I've never heard of mint Oreo. I'll have to look into that. There used to be a company that made it, and then they removed it from the market, mm. and I may have written them a letter, but I was going to give it back. So now I just make my own. So can you tell us your favorite drug? Oh, I hate favorite drug <laughs> questions. But if I have to pick one, I'd say acetaminophen is my favorite drug. Ooh, Okay. Going for the classics. I also teach pregnancy and lactation mm-hmm. medication use. And yeah. that is like the only drug that is universally safe in those populations as well. So, and it's pretty good, right? Yeah. Headaches, got some pretty useful, yeah. useful. So nice. I were stuck on an island and I had to pick a drug. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. We learned something new today. <laughs> it wouldn't be a sentiment of it. Cool. So what are you currently reading or watching or like what's your go-to obsession at the moment? The Olympics. The Olympics? Yeah, it's fair. Tokyo 2020 Olympics, even though it's 2021, but Mm -hmm. swimming is what I've been binging on. Nice. Yeah, used to be a swimmer. See, look, we're still talking now. There you go. It all goes together. Um, And then what's an unusual but true fact about you? My fun fact usually is that I love roller coasters. I'm like a thrill ride junkie. Mm. Yeah. Sometimes I wish that that was my profession, is going around <laughs> traveling and riding roller coasters and being the person that like takes the videos yeah. and rates all the roller coasters. But I'm not. But any chance I get roller coasters when I go to amusement parks. Nice. Well, you can always, you know, start bringing a camera along and just, you know, record it and see what happens. 
Right now, my goal is to get my kids to ride the roller coaster. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> but maybe after that. Are they not into roller coasters? Or Well, they're five and seven. So yeah. they actually this summer went on their first Ooh, roller coaster. Okay. I took... My son actually wanted to go in the tantrum at Darien Lake, which is one of their newer ones. And mm. right after, so we're, we got to work back into it. Got to go slowly. He agreed to it, though. I didn't force him. All right. So he's got, like, the willingness. He just got to work up to it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. He also wasn't a big fan. We went on, like, one of the big water slides. Mm. Same thing. He agreed to it. I don't force my children. Yeah. <laughs> and it was one of the big funnel ones called Ooh. the tornado, and he cried after that one, too. Oh, boy. Has he shown any desire to go on more? Well, I didn't think he'd go on the tornado okay, after fair. he didn't like the roller coaster. So we're going to Cedar Point next week, so we'll find out. Okay, good luck. <laughs> Hope the tradition continues. If not, I'll be riding rides by myself. So. <laughs> and they'll be taking a picture of you as you're like going <laughs> there along. We go. uh, so, uh, getting a little into the topic, um, why did you decide to focus on patient advocacy? So my backstory with patient advocacy started actually in 2018 when I was diagnosed with breast cancer mm -hmm. and one day I was laying in bed realizing how awful our healthcare system is and a lot of us already know that yeah. working in the field that there's definitely a lot of good things that come from it but lots of pitfalls and barriers and I was laying there wondering how the heck anybody without any healthcare background can make it through anything for that matter. Yeah. I'm a pediatric pharmacist, so I knew I blacked out cancer after I finished <laughs> pharmacy school for all the yeah. students that are listening. Yes, that happens to even faculty members. So I didn't know the topics, so I had, to, but I was like prepared. I knew mm -hmm. how to navigate the healthcare system. I could do research. I could ask people. So as I was laying there, I was trying to think of ways how even as a pharmacist, I could better prepare people to navigate the healthcare system. Why, now I understood why people might not call you back or people might not get tests yeah. or how it's actually usually our fault as the healthcare workers more hmm. than it is the patient's fault. And as I was kind of looking into, of course, what credentials or what expertise can, because that's what we do, I can you add after your name, I came across the pediatric, or sorry, not pediatrics, I already had that one, the Patient Advocacy Certification Board. And they were founded in around 2016, and they actually certify patient advocates. Nice. So I am a board certified patient advocate. And I just thought that kind of aligned because the purpose of the patient advocate and their definition is one who helps clients and client communities make informed choices and access resources, which is a lot of what I wanted to learn more yeah. about and do. And, and there is already tons of people out there that are doing it longer than this board existed, but yeah. it's also nice to see that they're starting to recognize the need for yeah. other people in the healthcare system to help patients navigate it and that there are those resources for people. So that's kind of where I started in terms of trying to have a different perspective when I enter the healthcare system as a patient led me to how can I help as a pharmacist or as another credential and patient advocate. Yeah. So now almost everything I do kind of has that patient advocacy lens and appreciates that the patients are just as frustrated, if not more, with us mm -hmm. than we can be with them. And I'm sure kind of being on both sides, it helps you kind of bridge and being able to talk to both the healthcare professionals and the patients, make sure that everyone's kind of on the same page. For sure. And one thing that I've learned along the way, and I like to stress when I talk to healthcare professionals, and even try to instill as I'm teaching future pharmacy professionals and future students, is 
that somehow along the way we decided that we were the best advocates for patients when you come out of school I don't think we have a class that says like we are advocates but we yeah. say we're we know the information we provide the medical information but there definitely is a big difference between patient advocacy and what is what I would call medical advocacy mm -hmm. rather. so you might hear that term when you start looking at um, the difference between the two. So yes, we are, if you just simply say advocates, of course we're advocates for right. patients, but might seem nuanced, but there's, I think, a big difference between patient advocacy and medical advocacy. And we provide medical advocacy. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the history of our healthcare system, we're biomedical focused. Mm -hmm. We are focused on medicine, westernized medicine, and all of our perspective is on that, but there's more to that in a person's life. So we provide the recommendations, we provide the medical information, we provide advice. Where when you really look at patient advocacy, it's more informational and not medical. So even though I'm a credential, the patient advocacy board actually says that even if you possess a clinical credential, you are not supposed to make specific recommendations. Patient advocates, really their purpose is to help patients make informed decisions, mm -hmm. help them navigate the healthcare system, help them maybe create questions that they can ask the provider. Yeah. So it's all informational guidance and not where we often as pharmacists too, as we're trying to get provider status, right. we're trying to make be more responsible for making recommendations. But patients need more options and recommendations right. and they ask questions and, and we kind of need to work together more. So yes, we provide advocacy for those who say, but we are patient advocates. I would rather say we're probably the technical way is we are medical advocates and we need to balance mm -hmm. the both. And there's times that we want medical advocates and patients want a strong yeah. recommendation and don't want to be like, oh, it's up to you. But I think there is a difference there. So I definitely try to appreciate that and balance the two. What advice would you give someone wanting to kind of go into a career of patient advocacy? And then what kind of a career, I guess, can someone have? So patient advocacy, when you look at it, Simply, if you don't have the pharmacist credential, or even if you do, most people that do patient advocacy do independent or private patient mm -hmm. advocacy, and it's one-on-one -on -one stuff. So you might go to an appointment with the person, you might uh, call doctors for them, work with the insurance companies, basically anything in the healthcare system. Some people are expertise in insurance mm -hmm. companies, some might do more working with the providers, but you're hired independently by the patient to help them with their any medical, I don't want to say medical needs, any patient advocacy yeah. needs they have to try and help them get their medical needs met. Okay. So that's what a lot of people do. I'm not doing that. I'm more integrating it into having that lens when yeah. I'm a pharmacist. And then also I did start a business doing I want to do more advocacy education. So I want to do more courses and classes for when that independent patient advocate, or if you can't afford a private right. patient advocate, isn't available. Um, how can you be that patient advocate for yourself or for mm -hmm. your family? Or I focus on kids, so right. I'm keeping that theme through. So for your kids, how can you work with them to help them better advocate? And so that's my spin on it. Mm -hmm. But if you look at patient advocates, most of them are kind of going to try to do some one-on-one right. -on -one work. Um, I've thought about it. And maybe who knows what will happen in right. the future. But as no, of no. now, my passion, obviously working in academia, is more the education mm -hmm. side. And I want to do more classes and courses and teach people 
how to navigate the healthcare system, how to ask questions, how to get over that intimidation feeling yeah. when you enter a provider's office and that overwhelm. And I think that's definitely important, especially as more people are getting, I guess, awareness of their own healthcare. And so it's good for patients to be able to properly ask the right questions so that they know, you know, what they're actually kind of getting into. Exactly. Yeah. And I could go down a whole rabbit hole about right information. So that is one of the courses I'm going to offer in the future is how to look up information and how to ask the doctor about that information. Mm -hmm. So I actually am on Instagram, so I actually made a little disclaimer post video the other day uh -huh. about don't reference me as some random person on the internet when right. you go to your doctor. So I also provide um, like some pediatric medication information and simplify um, I'm going to start adding that more into my education pieces, but I don't want them to go to the doctor and say, some random Instagram person said that Tylenol is the best med ever. Right. <laughs> like that doesn't help. So how do you take that information from a doctor or mm -hmm. pharmacist that we are starting to get on right TV shows and internet and bring yeah. that back and have it sound credible when you're right. talking to the provider. So yeah, that's all these things that are I wanna do. So is there any memorable patient encounters or memorable patient experiences or stories that you'd be able to share? I think a lot of my more memorable ones now have been seeing patients frustrated and not quickly saying like, oh, they're like an angry patient. Mm -hmm. Or every time now I see different patients in clinic, it's the recognition of, oh, that's our fault. We didn't educate them good enough if they didn't start the medication. Mm -hmm. So. Those have been some of my more memorable ones lately is a patient will come into clinic or, and they wouldn't have refilled the medication and they had a side effect and we're like, oh, why didn't you call yeah. us? And to me, I'm like, well, did we tell them clearly to call us? Mm -hmm. What were the instructions? Did they call the pharmacist and the pharmacist did that, didn't tell them to yeah. call us? So kind of trying to now break down those frustrations with the patients and how can we do better is probably most of the more memorable mm -hmm. experiences. Like I no longer have those like, oh my gosh, the, that patient right. experiences much anymore now that I'm like, okay, there was a barrier here that it wasn't intentional by mm -hmm. any means. Yeah. Very rarely do patients don't listen at all right. because they don't want to listen. Yeah. It's because they're overwhelmed and confused. Yeah. And then on the patient advocacy side, when I've been even though I don't do one-on-ones, since I've had been like talking to patients and talking to people that have doing it, some of those more memorable experiences is how basically anybody who's now a pretty great patient advocate for their kid it was all just self-experience. Yeah. And they're like, oh, I wish I would have known what I knew now, like the first time my kid got mm -hmm. sick, because uh, quite a few people have said how they feel timid and wouldn't ask questions. And then they realize like too far deep that they were having problems and wanted to uh, be more aggressive. Right. And they're like, I'm not being aggressive to be nasty, but that's the only way I've yeah. heard. And so that seems to be almost the same story with people that have chronic conditions themselves or complex medical conditions or their kids do, mm -hmm. that they evolve over time to yeah. do patient advocacy, but it wasn't like a skill set that was right. known and it and they wish they would have known more, which is yeah. why I want to do the education piece. Yeah, and it definitely seems important. 
awesome. Yeah, I think it should be a life skill that yeah. should be taught in, like, high schools <laughs> in terms of, like, how yeah. to access your medical record, yeah. how to make a doctor's appointment. Actually, that, speaking of memorable moments, I was asking people, like, what they're frustrated about, and somebody's like, I am a, an adult, and I don't know how to make a doctor's appointment. Yeah. And, like, I know tons of people who haven't gone to the doctor because they can't oh. make a doctor's oh, appointment. Geez. And it's actually not that easy if you have yeah. to start making specialist appointments or insurances or you got kicked, your doctor left and or you have a bad experience with a doctor and then you have to wait three weeks for this insurance before you can see this type of doctor. Mm -hmm. And then this one's on hold, like you're on hold with right. this doctor, but you can't because your insurance can only make one appointment. And so it's actually not that easy yeah, no, to it's make a doctor's not. appointment. Especially if they don't necessarily, they're just like, oh, go see, you know, a cardiologist, but they don't specifically tell you where you have to go. And you're like, I guess I'll Google it and hope that I find something. Yeah. And even going through my own health journey, I remember the one doctor who said, go get an MRI. And I'm like, where? Right. Like, <laughs> who does MRI? Yeah. Do you have a place? Am I scheduling it? Are you scheduling yeah. it? So I could, like, I asked those questions, but I could easily see somebody being like, oh, I don't even know what an MRI is. Right. Google MRI. Mm. Seems scary. I won't do it. Yeah. Or they say, like, you call a place and you actually have to send a script to a place yeah. to get an MRI. So if I call the place and they're like, oh, we don't have a script for you, like, that's the end. Right. And if you're not, if you're nervous about it or you're hesitant about it, you're just going to say, oh. Well then, exactly. yes, I tried, and then you'll go back to the doctor, and they'll be like, did you get your MRI? No, we didn't get my MRI. Why not? I didn't know where to go. Yeah. Like, and now you wasted six months. Mm -hmm. And then you still have to get the MRI. Exactly. Either way. <laughs> but the patient didn't know. Because right. we didn't do a great job helping. Yeah. I think it definitely, um, that kind of mindset helps, because I know a lot of times we just assume patients kind of know stuff. And they're just automatically going to do things. So I think it definitely helps you realize that maybe I probably should tell them this particular thing. It might seem silly to me, but it probably is a good idea to let them know. Yeah. And my husband, while we were going through this, actually had some not great encounters with community pharmacists mm -hmm. because the medications I was on from the community didn't look that horrible. Like I was on Zyrtec for bone pain. I started getting really bad headaches and I was on like a Voltaren gel and then I was on a muscle relaxer. Mm -hmm. And there was one time he went in there and we were leaving chemo. So of course he was stressed out. Right. We just left chemo. The doctor sent over the script to try to like help see if like Voltaren gel would help with my headache that time. And it wasn't ready. Yeah. And so he was already anxious, already frustrated, already and he's just like, I don't understand, like, what's going on? And he went in to get it, and I'm, like, sick in the car. And mm -hmm. he's like, they were so nasty to me. They're like, oh, gee, it's not, like, because well, it's not a big deal. Right. But, like, not knowing that it was for yeah. a person that had cancer. Right. And then as soon as he said that, he's like, yeah, their tone changed. I was like, of course it did. Right. But, like, we also assume, right, we might not know. Yeah. So he had a couple like negative experiences with community pharmacists that probably just dismissed my medications as not yeah. important or like could have waited. Right. And then that one, they're also like, oh, well, you could call ahead. And we're like, she's passed out in exactly. the car from chemo. Like she can't call ahead. Like she was sleeping because they gave her 100 milligrams of Benadryl or whatever it was. Yeah. There's no <laughs> like, calling. There's no calling. So some of those things that we think are helpful are not very right. empathetic. So we just get, it's hard. I know mm -hmm. it's burdened on our end too but hopefully like if we can start realizing that yeah. patients aren't mad at you per se they're just frustrated themselves right. and 
get to know them a little bit better, maybe we can all be happier. Is there one piece of advice that you could impart on our audience? I think my biggest advice is don't assume that you are advocating for the person in front of you if you start getting into that mindset of like, oh, I know I'm an advocate for all patients Mm -hmm. because all patients do have different experiences. And I also say that I know we didn't get into it tons, but I also am a certified aromatherapist and an herbal-minded, and a lot of that goes, too, in decision-making for people. So Mm -hmm. we, our focus is Western medicine, and it's great, and we need to be evidence-based, but that person in front of you has a lot else going on. Mm -hmm. They have quality-of-life issues. They have cultural belief issues. Uh, They might have Eastern medicine experience in their family, and we have to be mindful that just because we know the medical side and we can do medical advocacy that we need to really take into consideration. Are we really advocating for the patient in mm-hmm. front of us or are we just advocating based on medical advocacy yeah. and medical information? And I think we do really start having to figure out how to incorporate it all. And it isn't incorporated great, yeah. but Eastern and Western medicine can and have to coexist. Uh, so I think just being mindful of and who's in front of you mm-hmm. as much as we're time crunched, just being mindful of the yeah. person in front of you. And if they're hesitant, it's likely not because they're not listening to you. It's because there's probably something else going on. Yeah. So just kind of uh, think outside the box. Don't always stay inside of the box. Realize that there is an outside of the box. Yeah, exactly. And that it's easy to get into that this person, this person, this person, mm-hmm. oh, they're all on the same meds, they're all the same person, right. they all have the same diagnoses, but they don't, and they've all had different experiences, yeah. and they're all different ages, so that super influenced my care, too, was how aggressive I was, was if I was 35 versus 85, right. I would have done things differently, even though the guidelines are the exact same, <laughs> so it doesn't yeah. matter, there's not an age difference sometimes, but quality of life is important. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned your interest in Eastern medicine and aromatherapy. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, I can definitely tell you more about that too. All this shaped all my different perspectives. So I started getting interested in aromatherapy probably almost 10 years ago now. A co-pharmacist that I met at a conference had reached out to me and she was getting involved in aromatherapy and she's like hey you teach Mm self-care like listen to this and let's learn about aromatherapy and at the time I just didn't have the capacity to learn about it but it was always in the back of my head about aromatherapy so that's my long story to tell you that I've been thinking about it forever but it Mm -hmm. wasn't until a few years ago that I really decided I wanted to learn more about aromatherapy and natural products and my family started getting asking questions and I was like as the pharmacist, apparently they think you know about herbalism and aromatherapy, right. but you don't, just so you know. <laughs> and as so I started learning more about it, I'm a ENTJ, as I said earlier, I like structure, I like things in a certain order, it's the way I learn best, so for me, learning about with aromatherapy, the actual easiest way to learn was to mm-hmm. become a certified aromatherapist. So as I was going through that journey, I started learning that aromatherapy, there's more to it when you talk about herbalism as a whole, and aromatherapy is great, but there's just, it's an extract of an herb. So sometimes when I was learning about a lemon, lemon essential oils, in my head, I was wondering, why am I using lemon essential oil and not just a lemon? So I started learning more about herbalism 
in this area, we have a great herbal community, actually. So I started taking mm-hmm. herbalism courses. More, I don't want to become a herbalist. You can get certified different ways. I don't really have intentions of doing that, but just to kind of become more educated. Yeah. So as I was learning, I will say the hardest thing about herbalism and aromatherapy, when you learn it from people who have eight years of experiences and internships in mm-hmm. herbalism or are and don't have medical degrees that it is a very awesome but different mindset i'm sure and so i, I it was a hard process to say i'm a pharmacist and then i felt like an intruder as i was yeah. learning about aromatherapy and herbalism and i couldn't figure out how to blend the two because the way i learned herbal information and pharmacy school and the one elective I took was very science-based mm-hmm. and you use herbals like pills and right. you use it that way and when you look at herbalism and eastern medicine as a whole not just herbals and aromatherapy but that's what I know the best is it's really a support system and you can cook with herbs to bring nutrients mm-hmm. in tea is medicinal it not just drink tea to warm you right. up like there is a lot of therapeutic benefit to it and So that's kind of my background, I guess, on herbalism and aromatherapy and kind of my interest on it, which also I think helped shape my whole advocacy perspective Mm -hmm. because I have kind of my head in all the different worlds. And it really made me also appreciate why the people are resistant to medicine because of fear. And yes, herbals aren't all safe. So we'll quickly be like, oh, well, an herb isn't any safer than a med. There's no data. There's no science. But at the same time, there is data out there on herbals. There is science out there. Mm-hmm. Once again, I like to go back to the history of medicine. And anybody who wants to wonder how our medical education system and medical system evolved in the United States and actually Canada mm-hmm. needs to look at the Flexner Report and all the stuff around the Flexner Report. Okay. So essentially, why there's no data and science out there is because in 1910, when they were revamping medical education, they essentially said... Only science stuff can count. So they removed all herbalism, all anything holistic, wasn't credible enough to be part of medical education. So I know we get frustrated and we're trying to bring it back now, Mm -hmm. but a lot of these places where I had to go underground to naturopathic schools are starting to come back, but they were underground since 1910 and they were basically said, nope, this isn't what medicine is. So in 1910, not even that long ago, actually, we basically said the only thing that existed in healthcare and the only thing that can make you healthy is the biomedical sciences. So that is also kind of my perspective as I was learning about that. Like I learned about that Mm -hmm. inside of it from doing herbal classes and aromatherapy classes. Never did I learn about that in pharmacy. And when that light bulb went out, I was like, holy moly, like what is going on Mm -hmm. right now? So I think we need to appreciate that history just because we're so dismissive of it. Yeah. But it's because it was had to be underground yeah. for so long. And there is value. And I will say personally, I, I am not comfortable enough doing herbalism and a, an herbalist. I must I call it safety first. So if somebody asks me at clinic and yeah. they say, can I take this? I make sure there's no safety, but I don't often look at the efficacy. I'm not an herbalist. Yeah. And I think we have to be mindful of that as pharmacists mm-hmm. too that there is such a different and there is science out there but when we're saying no don't use something is it out of fear 
or is it out of lack of knowledge? Right. And is there something we should actually be referring right. to? Because patients are going to do it anyways and use it anyways. And they can, and it's going to be mm-hmm. super beneficial. Uh, I know when I went through chemotherapy, all, everything was always, don't use anything else. But, like, my body needed nutrients yeah. and support, and my diet was awful because I was puking all the time. <laughs> so, like, I could keep down a warm tea that technically I wasn't supposed to be drinking <laughs> because it was an herbal product, right? So I think we just have to be more educated on it and not be so dismissive of it and realize that even though there are not technically credentials for everything and even a certified aromatherapist, some people might say, like, oh, that doesn't mean anything, like, it's not a licensure, that there is so much education and value. My really good friend who's an herbalist probably knows more of the science and pharmacology Mm -hmm. and biochemical reactions than I do. She went to school for four years. She did internships. She has as much education as I do in pharmacy as herbalism. And I love talking to her, but that's why I don't ever do herbal recommendations Mm -hmm. because I am not an herbalist. So going back to my coexistence, when we talked about like they need to coexist. Yeah. I think we have to be cautious as pharmacists not to take over that realm Mm -hmm. and learn how to work together better because we are never going to have that knowledge base, even if we learn about it in school. And I think it's disrespectful to somebody taking over Mm -hmm. these fields that are out there that had that had to go underground in 1910. (laughs) They were forced underground and now we are all of a sudden waking up to that and we're like, oh, they're coming out of their hibernation. Hello. Hello. We're here. And we're like, no, go back. Because I can take care of it. I'm a pharmacist. I know. But uh, it's definitely a different approach. It's not as take one drop a day or take five drops a day. Mm -hmm. You can do certain things, but there's a lot more to it. So that was my long-winded answer. I kind of went all over the place with Eastern medicine. No, it's fine. I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take it. I think it's just another, I think, once again, it cycles back to the advocacy bit of being able to kind of give your patient all of the information and if that information is just hey here's this person who is an herbalist you can talk to them because that's what they do like i can give you some information but and i think that also helps create even more rapport with the patient that you have so that they can keep coming back yes even though i already gave you my like wrap-up advice i think my actual advice my new (laughs) one piece of advice is you don't have to know everything Mm -hmm. and i think assuming we do know everything just because it's overlaps with pharmacy a little yeah. bit is you're right not building rapport with patients because it's super frustrating as being a patient when somebody's like oh I'll help you out and then three days later they didn't help you out they still don't know the answer and they had to refer you to somebody yeah. else anyway so knowing who to refer to is almost as important as knowing mm-hmm. the information yeah all right what's your opinion on homeopathy so I don't know as much on homeopathy to be honest it's not super like it's not in a lot of the stuff I studied but there is actual like a methodology to it it's and honestly I said my approach is always safety first Mm -hmm. and if it's safe and a patient wants to try it and it works I will say it works yeah in that regard I that's definitely a different perspective than if you would have asked me 10 years ago, I would have said like, nope. So we might say it's placebo effect, right. fine. But what's wrong with placebo effect? That's true. Then? Is there anything, like it's not harming them, right? 
That's true. And it also, my other kind of with homeopathy, to flip the script a little, people will say, like, homeopathy doesn't exist, but then we will tell people not to use it because of interactions. So you can't say it's not effective and then say that it causes a drug interaction. Right. Those two can't coexist. Right, because obviously if there's an interaction, it does something. It does something. So, like I said, I don't know as much about it, but I do think this is... I do also like crystals and the energetic stuff, and I think it, it falls yeah. in those more realms, is that there is like science coming out mm-hmm. about energy fields, yeah. and some homeopathy actually does play off of that as Interesting. well. And um, herbal essences, if you look at that definition, they're not considered homeopathy, but basically it's very micro doses of herbs that were... Not the shampoo, right? No, no, not the shampoo. If you look up what an herbal essence is, uh, it's a a method of using herbs where essentially you take the herb, whatever it is, it uh, goes in the water and the energy from the sun or the moon gets into the water Mm -hmm. and then you dilute it a certain amount of times and then you're left with this herbal essence that technically doesn't, like pharmacologically probably isn't active, but the pushes the messaging as it's energetic. Yeah. I use herbal essences. I can dig that. To be honest. Yeah. So it's kind of that same. I think it, homeopathy like aligns a little bit too more to it that. So if there's energetic fields and Reiki and all that stuff, like it all, I don't want to say believe. That's, I don't love that term, but like if you believe in one of them, you have to believe in something else. Something else right. too, right? And once again, I often hear people will say, oh, that doesn't work, but don't do it because it could be not safe. I was like, well, like, and it does something. That. And so like, where's, and I think because we have so much turmoil as pharmacists of like not allowed to believe that. Yeah. And as I've been talking, I actually went through that whole journey too of I can't be a pharmacist and to use herbs at the same mm. time. Like it has to be one or the other because I feel like that's the pressure society mm-hmm. gives is like one side versus the other. And I think that's probably where some of the answer comes from. So if anybody's unpacking that, I've actually talked to a few pharmacists. I was talking to one the other day who also does yoga. And she said she doesn't tell any people in her yoga class ever that she's a pharmacist because yogis don't use medicine. And I was Interesting. like, do they? Do they never? And is that bad if we like we need to start opening up that yeah. like, we are like people need to see that. We are doing both, right? And healthcare professionals are doing both, yeah. and yogis are doing both, and herbalists it, are maybe using like. It's, it's all your the end goal. Everyone has the same end goal is to make everyone like healthier and safer while on their healthcare journey. So like, why not work together? If someone wants to try something, you want to help them with it because if that's what they're willing to do, that's what they're willing yeah. to do. Yeah, yeah, because I've also seen, right, patients will use it likely anyways. Yeah. So would you rather be part of that discussion and be part of the safety, make sure they're using it appropriately with supervision, or do you want them to trial it on their own? Right. And then be like, oh, well, I told them not to. Like, yeah. no, like, that's not helpful. No. And even, too, when we go back to, like, the science, and a lot of people say, like, oh, herbals don't have science. And, and yet when you look in some of our databases, at the same time, when we're, once again, we're saying they're not effective and there's no science. Mm-hmm. We're still saying probably the most common thing I hear from people in the herbal world is pharmacists saying that they can't take something because of a drug interaction. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those are from the same science right. <laughs> as the efficacy. 
And a lot of them actually, if you look at the literature, are theoretical, right. too. So same thing. Like, we're using, we're, we can't just pull the pieces we want out of it and then tell the patient not to use it. Right. Like, for example, too, the biggest off the top of my head is if you're using if medications because you have high blood pressure mm-hmm. and a patient comes in and says, I want to use an herb, this herb, and maybe they're nervous to really yeah. talk about it, so they're just asking you if there's a drug interaction because they know you're going to tell them no because right. that's what we do often, more often than not. Then they're not going to tell you it's because they're trying to get off their blood pressure mm-hmm. meds. And then you look it up, and it's like, theoretically, it could interact with these because it lowers blood pressure. And then you'll be like, oh, no, you can't use it. It right. lowers your blood pressure. And they'll be like, oh, good. This is what I wanted to do. Perfect. I'm going to use it. Versus saying... Yes, it can lower blood pressure, and they're like, "Oh, good, that's what I'm using mm-hmm. it for." And then be like, "Okay, you, your doctor may or may not approve of it. You have yeah. to talk to your doctor, but I'd monitor more frequently if you are going to use it. I don't recommend you use it without mm-hmm. further guidance. Please talk to your provider about it, and hopefully, providers yeah. will come around. And so they, people are coming around. Right. It's just we're definitely slower to. But there definitely has been has been an uptick from what I've seen, which it makes me very happy. So it's nice to see everyone kind of coming around yeah. into this. And I think the fact that we have so much training, I think it's kind of not utilized as much as it can, especially with all these databases. Like, it's there, and we have that knowledge, so let's use it and be like, okay, well, here's what it says. But here's what I know based on my training, so how am I going to interpret that? versus just reading off of a piece of paper. Yeah, so it's really taking back that critical thinking Mm -hmm. aspect and then talking to the patient and not just dismissing them so that they actually tell you what they're going to use it for, why they're Mm -hmm. using it, what they're trying, and not just say, like, nope, I would recommend Tylenol. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, back to Tylenol. (laughs) So, yeah, and I think, too, like, if you are open about it and you are going to use herbs, or we also have to be mindful that we're not using them just like prescriptions or what's right. the difference. So right. are we just saying, oh yeah, go take two capsule, two capsules twice a day of that herb, but it might not work versus when you actually talk about herbalism, it's a process. Yeah. And a lot of times talking to my herbalist friends, depending on the constituents in it, and like I said, she knows all the science more than I do mm-hmm. on this, is the different constituents get processed differently. So a lot of capsules are actually ineffective yeah. because they didn't actually extract out the effective part of the plant appropriately or mm. and it's not viable in a capsule. Right. It needs to be in a tea or it needs to be in a tincture or it needs to be in a different form. So a lot of companies jumped on and were like, oh, we're just going to crush up some powder, some dried leaves and yeah. put it in, but it might need to be activated in a different way. That's a good point. So... I just don't want us to stop. I love that we're moving in that direction, but I also, we need to learn a lot more about it before we just say, oh, that capsule's not effective. Well, is it not effective because we weren't even using it right? Because we were making those decisions and not the herbalists that know how to extract it. (laughs) That we say, like, don't talk to them, though, because they do this weird thing and don't make pills. They make tinctures and... Even though we compound (laughs) pills and tinctures and creams and ointments all the time. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, so that is, I love that it's getting there, but I think we need to make sure we're supportive mm. and supporting other professionals yeah. that not just capitalizing on it ourselves. So, we got to share the love and spread the love. 
Yeah, especially right. You said it earlier. Our endpoint's the same. Are there any resources that you would recommend for anybody interested in either patient advocacy or herbalism? For patient advocacy, if you're really interested in it, I would look at the Patient Advocacy Certification Board and probably look into that a little bit more. They have a lot of good resources Mm -hmm. on their own website in terms of what it is and see if it kind of feels aligned. And then there's a few other patient advocacy organizations, and I'm just going to tell you to Google them right now because they're blanking off the top of my head, that provide, like, courses and classes on, like, what it means to be a patient Mm -hmm. advocate and how to start as a patient advocate business if you want to do, like, independent or private. So even though we sometimes are like, oh, wow, I didn't know this existed. Uh This is awesome. Like, it's been around for quite a while. So I definitely look at some of those resources versus just saying, like, oh, I'm a patient advocate. Mm -hmm. There are tons of patient and private advocates that have been around before the board started certifying them and if they've been involved probably right. making the board uh, but I think as we move forward it's going to be a credential that we're trying to get if you're going to say you're a patient advocate mm-hmm. you should probably it's credential right. now you should probably go through that process from an herbal standpoint honestly my biggest advice is to try to get involved with the herbal community mm-hmm. that's around you there are tons of people who have been practicing herbalism forever who offer classes in the community and they're Mm going to look like community ed type classes potentially or they're going to be on just a website and you might think they're maybe not credible but that's just because that's the way we've forced them to look because they're not allowed to look i could go into a whole tangent about the legal stuff too and words you can use and not use and why Basically, Western medicine makes Eastern medicine look not credible Uh because they can't use any fancy words Mm -hmm. because then they're considered practicing medicine and then they get shut down. But there's, we're in Buffalo, so there's herbal, there's herbal apothecaries Mm -hmm. around. So they might hold courses and classes there. Yoga studios or wellness centers might Mm -hmm. hold courses or classes there from herbalists. So I would look at those because it's a completely different mindset versus taking one from a pharmacist. Right, yeah. herbalism 101 unless they have background on it right like they are an herbalist or they're doing herbalism training or are integrative trained or aromatherapy trained and but versus just a pharmacist who's like oh i read this article and right this is great i can talk about this so that's probably my biggest advice from drugs like i do like natural medicines database and they have the the references there and I think it's a good start, but as we talked about earlier, you have to really critically think of mm-hmm. how does this apply and not just be like, oh, there's an interaction, don't use right. it. Is, is this a good interaction, bad interaction? Is it a true interaction? Is it a theoretical interaction? Mm-hmm. And kind of take it from that perspective. And I, my other, I guess, if anybody's learning or starting the process, is it is a journey, it is a process. <laughs> the first herbal class I went to, I was like, I don't know. I know all uh-huh. these science terms, but like, I don't know what this means where you just put stuff in a cup and drink right. it. <laughs> like, what do you mean you don't like measuring? <laughs> it doesn't have to be measured. Yeah. But now I'm a lot more comfortable mm-hmm. with it once you understand how what's in plants and how they work and yeah. the phytochemistry in it. It makes sense. Yeah. But it takes a little bit of process to get off of that pharmacist brain mm-hmm. and say two capsules twice a day do not variate yeah <laughs> that's it yeah definitely a change but a necessary change in mindset i think yes yes and i think it helps i think it would help make everyone a well-rounded pharmacist and appreciate other aspects mm-hmm. because 
most people are using that stuff anyways. Like, absolutely. <laughs> most yeah. health professionals are using it anyways and then tell their patients they don't believe in it. That's right. Jaded. <laughs> jaded point of view, I say. So where can our listeners connect with you online? Right now, as of... July 28th, 2021, when we are recording this episode, I am most active on Instagram and I'm becoming more active on LinkedIn. And then I also have a website, stacylampkin.com, that tells lots of my stories on there and like what I'm offering. And I'm going to, that's where when I, I'm going to start working on courses and classes for patient advocates and want to work with healthcare professionals more. And uh, that information will also mm-hmm. be on there. So those are probably the three best ways. I do work at Duval in the School of Pharmacy as well. So anyway, like that, you can contact me through that email as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for uh, chatting with me today. Appreciate it. I learned quite a bit. Thank you for having me. This was great and fun and hopefully... I didn't spin in circles too much or to <laughs> no. overwhelm the listeners. Thank I'm, you so much. I'm not dizzy, so I don't think you spun in too many circles. And thank you listeners for, you know, listening. Now, before we wrap up today's show, I just wanted to uh, remind you of something that hopefully all of you remember from immunology. Do you know why ants never get sick? It's because they have tiny antibodies. If you have any feedback on today's episode, please feel free to contact us directly by emailing us at pawneycast at gmail.com. You can also connect directly with the Pharmacists Association of Western New York. We can be found on Facebook at facebook.com slash pawneerx and through our newly designed website at pawneerx.org. To make sure that you never miss a new episode, I recommend that you subscribe to our podcast for free. That's right, for free on your favorite podcasting app. We can be found on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and even Spotify. Thank you again for listening. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day or evening. I guess that depends on when you're listening.